bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
if you'd like a terrible transcription, <laughs> you can reach out to us. I guess. Do you want to make those available? Uh, or? I, you know, I don't. I mean, that's a good question. We, I might do that. That's, okay. You know, we are on vacation with your family, so I don't want to add more work. Right. To... Well, I'm not suggesting we edit it at uh, all. Well, I, I hear you. I hear you. But I, what I would recommend people do if they want some like added homework to this episode would be to read Lisa's Aww. article that she wrote based on these conversations at Film School Rejects. Oh, that's and so nice. there's a link in the show notes to that article. And it's a lovely article. And I love your point of view on these conversations. Because that's like the weird thing about doing uh, a roundtable press conference kind of thing is that each reporter at that table with those subjects has a point of view that they are writing towards. And so you'll have some questions or that are just like, you know, how's your con going? You know, wh what do you think of San Diego? And then you have like Lisa going like, let's talk about how nostalgia is poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> Does this have you thinking about your future? And if you, th you hope that your future self will like you. Yeah. 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 And so like, I really like, the conversation that Lisa was having with all these people and how she then sharpened it into this really rad article on Film School Rejects. You'll, Again, show links in the show notes. You'll notice I really love, uh, not included in my article is um, our conversations with Adina Porter and Nate Cordry. I loved Adina Porter's yeah. answer to my question. Yeah. She talks about going to see a fifth grade play and how that kind of ignited her... Um, like respect for the bravery and the excitement she felt as a younger actor. And, um, and then Nate Cordry just crumpled as a human. And then he was just like negative. Like, I think bringing up his child self, I don't think he was like in a place where he really wanted to like get, like, didn't the, he was very sweet and very funny, but he did make an expression like I had swept the leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, this is, a, a, again, a very unique uh, type of conversation or a unique episode that we are putting out as a Creator Corner. It doesn't operate at all like any other Creator Corner that we've done. I've never done Round Tabor. Like, the closest we had done was for Downhill. Yeah, but that was like just two people at us and yeah, no and, other reporters. And that was it. No, there were other reporters at other tables. At other, remember? Oh, right, but right. there were no other reporters at our table. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and so you'll hear how many reporters are in this room because you're going to hear like a lot of like cocktail chatter in the background. Yeah. Uh, so and at, and um, the Zoom recorder was pointed at the subjects. the subjects. So you might not necessarily hear everybody's questions. So you'll feel like a little Sherlock Holmes yeah, yeah. unsolving, unlocking the mystery of what we actually talked about. But I also think that you will enjoy this episode quite a bit. And, you know, like our Comic-Con um, experience, we're going to talk about it a little bit more on our next episode because we brought back some really great conversations in addition to this one we had a one-on-one -on -one with the artist attack peter and it was a shorter conversation but i think we'll use that conversation as a way of just talking about our comic-con experience in general mm -hmm. but just as a preview to our experience our emotional experience about this with this year's comic-con it was unlike any other we've experienced before and maybe the best con experience of my life honestly i came back from San Diego Comic-Con so fulfilled yeah. like my expectations were surpassed yeah like did you know we were going to be chatting to Cliff Chang and Brian K. Vaughn no yeah. <laughs> no 
but now ask me another question. Ask me this question. Am I satisfied with our conversation with Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang? Are you satisfied? With Absolutely us? not. That was not enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because, you know, uh, again, the they will be, they will cap off this episode, but we only really got 10 minutes with the two of them. And they are literal geniuses of this industry. And we need like a full hour sit down with the two of them to talk about not just Paper Girls, but everything else that they're doing. Like that episode of Top Chef that Brian K. Vaughn was on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. Lisa had questions about Top Chef for Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, she just didn't get around to asking. He them. had the same expression he had on on his episode of Top Chef in that room. It yeah. was tense. Yeah. It yeah. was intense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, like shout out to Kat uh, Calabia for snapping a photo of Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang talking to us. Did we, she really? Yeah, we, I've uploaded it onto the Instagram. Have I not shown it to you? You have not. Oh my God, it's so, a great photo. So uh, as part of our outro, you guys can hear my reaction to that photo. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great idea. Um, anything else we need to talk about? Well, like, you know, th so this is part of our Comic-Con coverage. I hope you all have listened to our previous four episodes that we released all through Comic-Con week. We chatted with James Asmus and Jim Fastante about Survival Street Loved from it. Dark Horse Comics. That book comes out this Wednesday. Yay, go the get first it! first issue, go get it. Uh, we chatted to Matt Kent about his new imprint at Dark Horse, Flux House. And we picked up our first Flux House book. Yes, Mind in... Management Bootleg. Mm -hmm, we got it in San Diego. Yeah, we got it at uh, SoCal Comics. Mm-hmm. And then we had a conversation with Scott Snyder. He was back on the show. And ooh, we should save our like Scott Snyder story for yeah, our Attack Peter episode. It's it's a very don't don't you worry, guys. We had a very nice moment. Yeah, with Scott and Greg Capullo. Scott Snyder, you know, as you can hear from that episode, super nice, sweet guy. He's even nicer and sweeter than I thought possible. Hardest working man in comics. Yeah. Kindest man in comics. Yes, yes, yes. And then um, we had our last episode, which was a conversation with Tom King and Elsa Chartier talking about their book, Love Everlasting. And we had a nice moment with Tom King. Yeah. I mean, again, and Mitch Jarrett. Yeah, both two like extremely kind gentlemen. And Mitch actually said that he would come on our show. He did. Granted, <laughs> we had the screws to him, I think. We, we did. There's a little social pressure. And moment. we did the same thing to Greg Capullo. And so. <laughs> Oh, Greg, You're next, Greg Capullo. Yeah, Greg Capullo was seemed pretty down for that too. So we'll cross our fingers on that. Um, so yes, uh, please listen to those episodes. Links in the show notes. Uh, stay tuned for at least one more, maybe two more Comic Con episodes uh, that I'm very excited about. Uh, we just had like the best time. We just had we the had best a time. beautiful time. Um, I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to go to New York Comic Con. That was the crazy thing because uh, the day after Comic Con ended, we got a press approval for New York Comic Con, and we've never gone to New York Comic Con. So we'll be doing that this year. Hopefully we'll see some of you there. Wouldn't that be the most fun? I mean, y yes, it would. Because we saw several of you at San Diego and you blew our minds when you just called us out on the street. So. <laughs> if you guys saw us and you didn't say hi, shame on you. Yeah, no, not shame on you. I understand shy people. Yeah. But trust us. Like, please come say hi to us if you we, see us at a con. We, I was so excited to meet everyone that we met. Yeah, yeah. It was just the, the, the literal best. Uh, as is uh, all these conversations that you're about to hear and so we're just gonna like drop all of those paired chats in one big row um i'll break them up with our little like uh pause music which you may or may not know is from a certain television show that i'm not going to mention mm -hmm. uh, but when you hear those little uh, beats th the next show will come 
or the next conversation will come, just know that Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang climax all of these chats. Let's review the order, because we did do it. Cameron Jones, who's Tiffany, and Sophia Rosinski, who is Mac, was first. Yes. Then Riley Lynalette. Yes. Who plays Aaron then, and Fina Stratza together, who plays KJ. Yes. Then comes Adina Porter. Then comes Nate Cordry. Then comes Chris Rogers. Right, right. Then we end with Brian K. Vaughn and right. Cliff Chang. Oh, and um, Chris Rogers is the showrunner, if yeah, you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, And, uh, you know. And cool guy. Uh, comic book fan. Super cool guy. Paper Girls is now streaming on Amazon. We weirdly have not seen it yet. We have not watched it yet. We, we have not had a moment. Yeah, as you will hear in this conversation, I'm anxious about watching a live action adaptation of Paper Girls because... I adore Cliff Chang's art and style and Matt Wilson's colors so much. From what I can tell from the footage, though, they really do try to infuse those colors. And, and you'll hear Cliff Chang talk about how, how much influence he had over the visuals exactly. and over the... Exactly, yes. Yeah, so you'll yes. hear it. You'll, we're excited to watch it. Yes, absolutely. So with all of that out of the way, let's jump into these chats. Doobity-doo-ba. <laughs> Hey, I'm Cameron Jones, and I play Tiff. And my name is Sophia Rosinski, and I play Mac, and we're on Amazon's Paper Girls. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. So, my first question for you, I think you guys embody these characters really well. You do a really great job on the show. Is there anything that you guys have had any challenges kind of portraying, um, or any characteristics you guys have found challenging at all? Um, hmm. Uh, for me, I, I can't say there was a specific thing. I think just just making sure I was brought up in the Meisner technique, so just living truthfully under imaginary circumstances, understanding who the character is, where she comes from, and just listening and reacting. So I can't I can't pinpoint a specific thing. I don't think. I would say that there wasn't like a specific thing about Tiff that I really had to get accustomed to, but I can say that just like she said, being in Tiff was the challenge in itself because just making sure that I was in it was a big part of my day each time I came to set. Actually, I guess I actually I guess the only thing that it would be would probably be using so much bad language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sophia does not cuss at all. I can tell you that. She does not cuss at all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for question for Max's character, uh, you know, she starts out a bit abrasive. Do you feel like she, how do you feel like she developed over the season? Well, Mac has been brought up in an environment where she has had to sort of construct a very hard shell for herself in order to survive. But when she's exposed to these other girls, they have a really positive influence on her and she doesn't need that shell as much. And I think it's really interesting to get to see her sort of shed that because there's so much, she's a far more complex creature than she lets on. And there's, there's more to her than just an abrasive, uh, foul-mouthed little street rat. <laughs> I watched a lot of movies and I listened to some music like and I watched like Coming to America and Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon I tried to like get into t <laughs> I loved when he kept when he caught the bullet with the seed but uh, besides the point um, I, um, 
I tried to get into what I thought Tiff would like as the character, and I think Tiff would be really into sci-fi and really into that out of this world fantasy. Like, and I also thought she would really like Salt and Peppa and Prince and stuff. So I would research stuff like that to really try to get into Tiff's point of view of the '80s. For me, I I've been brought up around a lot of 80s culture, so it was it was kind of a nice smooth transition for me, and it was just really fascinating to actually be dropped into it. For me, I would say like Cameron, listening to some of the kind of stuff that I think Mac would listen to music-wise, watched a few movies, and just like Cameron, yeah, I absolutely agree. Same. Also, the comics were a really great like reference because those were made by people who were alive in the 80s, so that was great. Did you go a lot to the comics before, like as a source material, like to build your character like, comics? For me, uh, for me, I sort of constructed, I guess, my own interpretation of Mac, following the script with infusions of the Mac in the comic book series, who I love. And for me, I was reading each comic book during filming, and I was trying to savor that as much as possible. I remember trying to turn the pages as slowly as possible, just because I wanted, I wanted to draw it out, let it last as long as possible. But for me, it was just sort of taking the comic book Mac and the script Mac and then kind of meshing them and creating someone out of both of those sources. I did reference the comic books a lot because for me there was no better like material than the source of what Paper Girls is and I actually kept like I kept the comic books in my trailer on set and like if there was a scene that was really like straight out of the comics I wanted to look back on it I would try to recreate it like the comics but I feel like we both put ourselves into our characters so while bringing the comic book character to life there's a bit of us in there with that and yeah. the comics and the show the relationships are so crucial to the story. How do you build your relationships with your fellow cast members to match the relationships of the characters? Lots of ice cream and lots of laser tag. <laughs> yeah, because we would get ice cream like every weekend or for like minor, major celebrations. And then we played laser tag in the hotel while we were on location one time. So. And even just being in these tightly packed uh, intense scenes with each other was sort of a, a way that we formed bonds. It was kind of like an apocalypse boot camp. Yeah. So we were thrown thrown into a room with each other and we, as our characters developed, like Cameron was saying, as our characters started to know each other, we were as well. So I guess sort of a natural chemistry formed. Also the nine hours a day for five months straight with <laughs> these guys helped. Seeing, seeing these guys' faces every day, yeah. Do you find yourself kind of projecting your imagination forward and thinking about like what your adult self could possibly learn from your present self and that kind of thing? For me, yeah. I think Paper Girls really opened up a lot of philosophical questions for me because it was like, what if I don't like who I become? Would I be content if they were different than what I picture now? It opened a lot of those questions for me, but I think being Tiff also helped me realize as long as future me is happy, I'm good. So it opened up the questions, but it also answered them more.
That's a really nice statement. <laughs> that as long as I'm future me is happy, I'm good. I really like that. I really like that. I'm gonna piggyback on what she just said because that was re really good. Okay, like physically where they end up, or just in their arts. Okay. All right. I'm gonna say. I would say companionship because Tiff kind of starts off the season as lonely because only child, her parents work all the time, and I think by the end of the season she really forms this like famili familial relationship with the girls, and I would say that's where she ends up. Okay. I will. I'll quickly. I'll quickly just say this. I'm gonna say, in a sense. Courage, because in the beginning of the the series, we see she she has a lot of she's got a lot of nerve. She she gets herself into some dangerous situations at times, but she always approaches it with a certain aggression. But the courage that she develops at the end of the series is more of she's able to forgive and she's able to move forward and she's able to let down her guard a little bit. And I think that takes a lot of courage. Are you guys looking forward to doing anything? I'm going to try to hit the Marvel panel tomorrow, but if the Hall H line is too long, which it probably will be, it'll be out the door, people are camping out tonight, I think I'm just going to go scope out the floor because my family's here, and it's all of our first Comic Con, so I think we're all going to go explore together. Yeah, I think just, just seeing, looking out for costumes and just seeing how they've been constructing all of this, that's sort of my plan, just strolling up and down just taking it all in. I also want to ride on the Paper Girls train. Oh, yeah, the, the pe oh, and the, the pedicab. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the pedicab, <laughs> not the pedicar. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This table looks cool. Hey. I think just being together. Just, it's, our, it's both of our first cons, so we're just really excited to be here. So for KK's character in the comics, we're kind of going through like a career discovery. Mm -hmm. Is this something that's going to be tackled in the television show? Yeah, absolutely. We know how important KJ's arc is to a lot of people, and so we definitely tackle it with uh, a lot of empathy and care and try to really reflect a truthful experience. Um, her discovery is very internal, and she... It first comes as a bit of a shock to her, but then she really comes into herself and uh, develops this new sense of confidence with finally finding out who she is. Um, and through this also, I made sure to portray this story while remembering that KJ is from the 80s in a time where being queer was not okay. And so um, we, I hope that's reflected um, in the show. Have you found, like, portraying children from the 80s, do you have a newfound compassion for those of us who grew up in the 80s? Yeah, well, I think nowadays the 80s is, like, 
very exaggerated and it feels like oh my gosh cool music cool clothes crazy hair but in paper girls it doesn't feel as romanticized it's an authentic portrayal of how it actually was with the with the homophobia and, and the sexism and the racism and I think it's really interesting that we get to see how that affects our characters as young women um, and to see the comparison of how it was now and to how it is then. Did you guys get to read the comics? And if so, a fan of comics before? Did it make you a fan of comics? It, for me, it kind of made me a fan. Uh, I'm not too familiar with the comic book world, but uh, Matt Wilson's color palette just really opened my eyes to um, what this world could be like, and um, I was just incredibly drawn to the art in the book, as well as Brian's uh, fully developed characters and how much depth that these girls have. And I just knew upon reading both the script and the comics that it was just such a special story and I needed to tell it. Yeah, my process was very similar to Fina's. Um, I had read like a little bit of DC Comics here and there, like the Injustice series, um, but Paper Girls was kind of like my first introduction to like being really into it, and I resonated so much with not one, but all of the characters, and from the get-go I knew that this was going to be something special. With these characters having to confront their future selves or the possibility of the future, how has that affected your concept of where you could be going? And how happy or disappointed with that person you could be. I feel like being 12 years old, not just for girls, but for everyone, there's this uncertainty of whether or not... Well, nothing is really... You, you don't feel like anything is certain when you're 12 years old. You don't know if you fit in or not. You're always asking yourself this big question, like, who am I? And I think Paper Girls really touches on the, the bittersweet feeling of growing up, of just not knowing who you're going to become. Yeah. And um, for me, I just think it made me sort of re reflect on my future a bit. Um, I, I almost feel like this show is making all my dreams come true in a way, and I'm doing things that I've dreamed about my entire life. And I think that in the future, it's just made me hope that I remember this feeling and really appreciate and savor every moment that I'm doing. So hopeful, you don't have any anxiety being gifted all these wonderful things right now. <laughs> There's definitely a sense of anxiety and hoping that the fans who love this show and love the comics so dearly are, you know, satisfied with what we've created. I think they will be. Yeah, I, I think because both of us are fans of the comics <laughs> ourselves, like huge fans, and both of us are quite satisfied, as well as pleasantly surprised with <laughs> what they did or what we did. How our characters end up? Dumbfounded. I think that's for, I think that's a good word for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we crashed a lot of weddings throughout filming. Um, every now and then we'll barge into, every now and then we'll find a wedding venue and then Fina and I have started to bring like formal wear with us everywhere we go so that if there is a wedding we can hit it on the dance floor. Exactly. And we went roller skating a lot together on a rooftop and we would watch the sunset and we would gaze into each other's eyes and we'd look into the sunset while roller skating and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
we, Riley and I had a lot of odd pastimes. Uh, we were in such a bubble in Chicago uh, with really no other girls our age or any friends to, that we knew because none of us are from Chicago. Um, and so, yeah, we, <laughs> we just found people's weddings and went to them that we didn't know that we were not invited to and went on the dance floor and lived it up. Yes. <laughs> you guys are obviously not women's bodies. How did you get into, you know, well, definitely a lot of the source material from the comic books. Um, and uh, our set decorators did a really good job with transporting us to these different time eras that we go to. So everything just felt very in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so you talk about injustice a little bit. You read a little injustice. I was like nine. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> so I don't know. Now you're experiencing comics through Paper Girls, which having this very intimate relationship with Paper Girls. Does it make you more curious or excited for the, what the art form of comics can deliver as a narrative device? Definitely. I've, I've heard Cliff and Brian say that they sort of created, um, they, they created Paper Girls because they felt that it was a story that would never be able to be told on the medium of film and TV. And so they're like, okay, we'll make it a comic book instead. Um, and so I definitely think that with seeing a book like this being created into a show, it'll open a lot of eyes and be like, oh, like, story, like, it doesn't matter what medium a story can be told on, like, it's possible. Um, and I, I hope it, it makes creators, you know, explore their imagination even more and, uh, you know, what length they can go to. Yeah. The show definitely does focus a lot on like the female friendship and the female empowerment, but I think this show is for everyone, and a big part about comic books is that you're looking into the perspective of different people from different backgrounds, and for Paper Girls, you're looking into the, the perspective of young women, and I don't think a lot of people realize how important your childhood was like and how much it affects the future. Now, Patriot's also a character that represents uh, Jewish. How do you feel like you represent that on the television screen? You really try to adapt that from the comics to Um, well, uh, it's a big part of Katie's character. She, a lot of her, you, you hear her talking about the pressure from her mother to, be, to, to have a good bat mitzvah and that she, it's kind of something that she feels that, that family um, wait upon her to follow the right norms and to, you know, follow the right path in her life. And so I, she embraces it as a part of herself, but then, you know, some of the elements that come with it, she definitely feels that that pressure of living up to. Um, and uh, I hope that the story and um, her, her journey in that respect is uh, told truthfully. Thank you. I appreciate thank you. It. Yeah, thank you for having us. Of course, enjoy the con. Yeah, happy con. Is that what they say, happy con? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My name's Adina Porter, and I get to play Prioress in The Paper Girls. You've got a lot of futuristic books there. How do you feel about the design of everything? You know, I'm one of those actors that. In one way, I'm. In one way, it's I. I'm, I do what I'm told. <laughs> I'm not one of those actors who walk into a fitting and go, "No, I would not wear that," uh, or "No, I would not say that." I kind of like the challenge of this is what you want. I'm going to make it real. 
So um, I very much enjoyed all the various different looks that uh, that I that Priorist gets to wear, and I because you know I I. I can't see the bigger picture, you know what I mean? I, When I was a younger actor and a director would give me a note, I would think, oh no, I got it wrong. And then as an older actor, I realized their opinion also counts. And they also see something that I don't see. And there might be something that they need me to do to, that makes sense in another episode that my character isn't even in. So I like being a team player, doing what I can do and then trusting that it all blends in together. And how do you inhabit a character that is so far removed from where we are, where the characters, the main characters are? I very much enjoyed the graphic novels when I, I delved into them. And I thought that Priorus was written and, and drawn to be different in every particular um, epi uh, comic book. I only found out today that Priorus in the show is a combination of quite a few different officers. So my whole theory of mine going, oh, well, she's white in, this, in these episodes, and then she's black in these episodes, I thought it was, yet again, Priorus being a chameleon. Uh, but um, I was wrong. <laughs> they just happened to um, uh, meld quite a few female warriors together, and we 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 got priorities. And you find value in, in, in interacting with the comic book in that way. Yeah, because I want to be true to the to the source material. I think what a pretty a great. Um, um, challenge, you know, uh, and and then just kind of trusting that um, my choice in this particular scene will make sense in the, in the next one or further down the line, um, especially when you have so many fans who are, uh, um, you know, committed and, and more knowledgeable uh, to paper girls than I am, so I, 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 I got to stick to the script something I got from Sorkin. <laughs> Are there any particular personality traits that you find you really too well with? there's a bit of a shift because you, you, you see Priorish as one particular way and then when you see her with her boss she gets to reveal something else uh, which was a lot of a lot of fun to do um, yeah. when she, when, when, there's, there's Priorish when she's on her own and you think she's in charge and then when you find out that she's actually an employee of someone else, a whole other side is, is revealed. My gut reaction, I think, is that she would be a little bit embarrassed. 
because I, I think that Pryorus, when she was a, a, a soldier beginning, she would, she would follow direction, follow orders without ever questioning. And I think to not follow an order takes guts, and that only comes with age. Um, uh, did I find myself thinking of it while, while, um, but, but, uh, I'll just, I'll, I, I, this is the answer that comes to my head. I took my daughter and three of her friends to the fifth grade, um, musical. And I, I found myself being so incredibly excited about what I was about to experience because I knew that there were people on that stage who were fulfilling that dream. And I wanted to kind of witness it. Witness when, when you step out and venture into something you've always wanted to do. And I got kind of choked up. And there was a, a parent behind me because I was sitting up, you know, waiting for it to begin, waiting for the magic to happen. And and this this adult behind me, no offense, this white male behind me, he was like, you're so excited about this. And I was like, you're damn right I am. He had no idea what, you know, what I did and what I was about to witness. And I'm glad that I didn't allow him to um, dab, dampen that enthusiasm. Um, you know, because when you're watching, you know, theater and, and, and it's happening live in front of you, something's going to happen that's not predictable and we're going to see how people react. And I, I wanted to be there and witness it. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't allow him to um, dampen that enthusiasm. Thank you. Bye-bye, so y'all. Thank you. My very first con. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm good. Nice to see you. Hello. Hello. Enjoying the con, Nate? This is my first one. I should have applied more deodorant this morning. I learned that lesson. Um, first, con, Easy first con mistake, basically. Um, don't, you need, need to reapply. Um, it's incredible. I, I've, I've, I live in LA, so it was, it was an easy trip down. Um, but my wife and I are both here together, and it's our first cons for both of us. So we're going to go into the floor later after this. Um, I'm thrilled to sort of be amongst the masses. And uh, yeah, it's so cool to see so many people who are so passionate um, about this world come together. It's, I love it. It's great. I was as a kid for a hot second, but then I got like way into um, baseball. I was like a sports nerd, but I had a love affair with Daredevil. Daredevil oh, yeah. was like sort of—I I don't know who that artist is. Like the first, like the one where he's like holding a like uh, like a magnum, like right at the Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Okay. Um, who was revered, of course, for obvious reasons. I remember being scared, like it kind of shocked me. I thought comics were like Spider-Man, I guess maybe, and you guys obviously know more than I did, but they seemed more kinder, gentler. It wasn't so punk rock. 
and I saw Daredevil. I was like, holy shit, this is, comic books are this? Because it was Hell's Kitchen and it was dirty and it was like scary and violent. I was like, oh, I can, I can kind of get into this. Um, my friend Pat Tien, back in Weymouth, Massachusetts, handed me my first uh, Daredevil. Um, so that was my first sort of like comic experience. Yeah. Right. Um, how did you engage? Did you engage with the source material to build your character? I didn't. I, I I read the source material just to be to familiarize myself with the story and the world. But the character itself, I sort of ignored the the source material and just stuck to Chris's scripts because I knew it would confuse me. Um, and it, it would probably be helpful. I know the audience is coming in. We have to assume that the audience hasn't read the comic. Uh, many of them will, but we have to, at least I have to make the assumption that they haven't. And Chris, the writer, has to make the assumption that they haven't. So we have to do all this legwork and we can't rely on Brian and Cliff's incredible storytelling because it's a different medium. But I said in the panel, it was like, people who play these iconic characters, like I'm too much of a warrior and a, um, a guy, I would be so worried about like not pleasing fans and disappointing people. I guess you just have to do it and, and let the chips fall. Uh, but having a character that wasn't affiliated was like, it just made it a little bit easier. I was like, it's just this, it only exists in this world. No one's gonna stop me on the street and be like, dude, Larry would never have walked that way. And I'm like, I, I, I'm sorry. So hopefully I didn't break any, any hearts. I did, yeah. It's really sort of like a, a, a story engine for these four girls. We need to pull these girls back and forth through time. And it was a way to sort of add another level of story. You're dealing with these four girls. You're dealing with them, dealing with their future selves, trying to get home, um, becoming, transitioning from young girls to young women. And then there's this, these two other characters that Idina and I play, along with... Um, Jason Manzoukas, who plays grandfather, who sort of like helps add additional layers of story to the series. Um, so it was sort of like a, a way to keep the girls like moving throughout the story and give give them more to do. I my character is there purely to service the four girls and their story, and I was more than happy to uh, to to play that part. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's a bit. He's been. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he's been hurt in a pretty sort of horrifying and sort of tragic way um, with his with the his the love of his life has sort of been taken from him in this in this awful way. And he feels, uh, I don't know if it's as simple as saying just like, life isn't fair. And what do you do when you're dealt, you know, that hand when you wake up one morning and the life that you wanted to be living that day is not the life that, that you are living. How do you adapt? Um, Larry definitely is, uh, is an adapter. He survives. He's, he starts, you know, when the girls go back in time, they see him young, fresh-faced Larry who's not cynical, uh, who hasn't lost faith in the world. Um, 
those are things I, I definitely brought to the character that, that you know, sometimes uh, things don't work out. Um, and you have to roll with the punches, punches or not, uh, <laughs> and start punching yourself. Um, so I think just like disapp deep disappointment, which everyone in the world can relate to, is a, was a big part of Larry's story. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh man, every day, uh, every, every, if I go to therapy on Fridays, so Fridays between 12 and 1 is when I usually do that. Yeah, but, I mean, that's one of the great parts about this job is being around, you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds and losing some of my cynicism and watching them, because they're doing all this for the first time and I've been doing this for 20 years and, uh, and I'm cynical. I just am. I, I walk in like with my arms crossed to every job. Um, and they walked in with a curiosity and a lightness and an openness to the job that I sort of, like I, I needed to take that with me to my next job to remain curious and open and not get so stuck in my own ways. Um, yeah, you, you, I guess you like, you get burned enough as a, as a, before any, any, you're, you're living any, any kind of creative life. When you get burned so many times, you start getting protective. And to see them be so open about every aspect of the production, I was like, I need to be more open and curious and less, less cynical. So I'll take that with me to my next job. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. Can you know, level check here? Does that sound okay? Looks yeah. yeah. uh, good. Just that I was a huge fan of it. I, I worked for a long time as a bookseller at a place called Skylight Books in Los Angeles, and I would sell the hell out of this book because I just thought it was so special. Uh, and then it came to me that uh, Amazon was going to do it. One of my mentors over there uh, is a writer on Lord of the Rings, told me about this project. Uh, and I was scared of it, and I was like, I don't know, they're going to mess it up. But then I heard Brian and Cliff were involved. Uh, Amazon made certain promises about their willingness to go to the kind of darker places and not kind of like Disney it down or sanitize it and clean it up. Uh, and at that point, it just scared me so much, I felt like I had to say yes. So. Yeah, just, just that, I mean, it is kind of our true north, right? Like, whenever we're lost, we try to go back and read sections of it almost like Bible study. But at the same time, we think people are coming to this to have a larger experience, you know. So uh, as long as it kind of feels in the spirit of what they did and we can find a way back and to, to that kind of main track, then I think it's allowed. And also, you know, the opportunity we have is Brian and Cliff wrote this in a vacuum, you know, in a serial way many years ago. Uh, I get to have this writer's room full of people who have lived these experiences a little more. It is an all-female writer's room except for me. You know, women in their 20s, women in their 60s, women of all the ethnicities represented here, the different sexual orientations. Can we have a larger conversation than the one they were able to have in, in just those few pages? That, that felt like the biggest opportunity uh, in taking it to the screen versus on the page. <laughs> it's a great question. I mean... I think the biggest difference is that our girls are aging, right? You know, in the, the source material takes place over three or four nights. 
Uh, it happens very quickly. They don't have to deal with how long the girls are away. So I think there are some things that are just intrinsic to the the, the challenge of using real actors that are going to ask us to, to, I don't know, engender some of those questions. But at the same time, there's this huge, amazing roadmap I don't want to get too far from. So I, I guess I'll dodge that only by saying we're open to it, but gee, I think it has such a satisfying ending. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't throw that out. Brian and Cliff once said that this comic is impossible to adapt. <laughs> and you're proving them wrong, hopefully. Uh, I agree. How, how do you... I mean, they were on board already. How do you tackle the impossible? Oh, God. Uh, with a lot of fear uh, and, you know, hope that you don't screw it up. But, uh, you know, I, I think it was a question of... Scale was one, right? Because the comic goes to these fantastical, huge places, and that's part of the adventure. And so if we were going to be asked to like kind of do it in a small box, that wasn't going to work. Uh, but then it was casting. It was just like, can we pull these girls off the page and have them be as rich and as inhabited as the characters that have been written? Uh, and then, so for me, the first time we got to see this kind of chemistry read the girls just spoke about was the first time I was able to let my shoulders down a little and say, okay, maybe we'll get away with this. Uh, just, just because they are, they are so real and they, they bring things to those characters that both kind of satisfy, you know, the archetypes they exist in, but also just expand on it, uh, and bring it to life. So I don't know. Uh, maybe it will prove impossible in the end, but so far it's, it's gone pretty well. When you adapt something from comics to live action, you lose Cliff Chang's art, oh. Matt Wilson's colors. Yes. How do you make up for that? We make Cliff Chang be really involved in all the production design and make him talk to all the DPs. And in the second season, we use him even more uh, because they did so much research. The, the other good thing he gave us, too, was not only here are my drawings, it was like, here's what I'm referencing. You know what I mean? Like, I got this from Alien, or I got this from, you know, uh, Crutzen. You know, like, he turned us on to his influences, so we were able to kind of take what he did and, and bump it up a notch, but do it with the ingredients he gave us. So uh, I, I think you can't have enough Cliff Chang in your show. And as we go forward, expect to only see more. Yeah. Have you had any memorable moments on set so far that you Oh, man. Uh... What's memorable? I mean, the, <laughs> the beating heart of this show is these girls. Like they're so like buoyant, and you've you've just met them. They're so buoyant and fun, and like the energy is so good. And that's not true of every show. Sometimes you have like cranky actors or, or you know people that are go to their trailer and don't interact. But these girls, you know, the scene can call for one of them to be shot and one of them to cry, and then they'll call cut and they'll be doing like a like a synchronized dance. Uh, so <laughs> that that kind of energy is infectious, and it makes the long nights possible, and it makes the you know the challenges of shooting something in this scale work. Oh gosh, what's memorable? I mean, there were a lot of there's a lot of like Cameron falling off her bike moments uh, that are funny once you find out she's okay. Um, I don't know, but I, I think I'll remember the dancing. There's a lot of spontaneous dancing. If there's one word for you to tease how this season would end, what would it be? Or even where it's going. Yeah. This is not one word, but I will say our aspiration was to smart start small uh, in terrestrial environments you recognize and then have the world get progressively bigger. Uh, and the world certainly gets bigger by the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, I absolutely do. Uh, and I felt this way on Hunt and Catch Fire, too, because to get to be grown up that, like, puts Clash songs and things and, like, uses, you know, bad words and, like, gets to write these bratty little kids is, is to kind of high-five a younger version of yourself and be like, see, you didn't need math. And uh, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I, absolutely. And then I have young kids... Uh, who are not as old as these girls, but but um, I don't know. It, it kind of helps me not be so serious, you know, be, because I, I think the great endeavor of Paper Girls is to take twelve-year-old girls seriously, uh, because we should, because they're people that are as fully formed and as thoughtful as we are, and that are dealing with often kind of things that are heavier than we are with more raw emotions. And so uh, I think it's been good. I think it's been kind of therapeutic. Yeah. I hope this is a show for people who don't think they like sci-fi. You know, I, I think you can forget for stretches of this show that there's going to be time travel and giant robots and then, you know, be enjoying that. I, you know, every now and again there are people who think they are too good for genre and I hope this is a show that kind of makes all those people get over themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thank you. Is our time up? So fast. Oh, all right. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. You too. Hi. Everyone. Hello. How's your con going? Wonderful. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, killer. Very good. Thanks. Good to be back. Oh, yeah. I hope so. That's It has to. Yeah, yeah, for an adaptation, I think that's the whole point of doing something. If you're just going to do a beat-for-beat, beat, what Chris Rogers calls the karaoke version, it's just, uh, it's boring. I think that comics can do things that television can't, and television can do things that comics can't, and it's that passage of time. A comic, all 30 issues, even though it came out over a course of years, for the girls in the story, it's only a few nights of their life. The idea that we could do a show where we could literally watch these young actresses grow up and these characters grow up, it felt like this is justification for doing an adaptation. So yeah, I hope it goes far beyond the comic while still being very true to the, the heart of it. But in adapting it to live action, we lose Cliff's art, we lose Matt's colors, you know, so you do, you do gain stuff, but how do we maintain your work? Early on, the production team asked me to put together some notes, you know, some of my visual inspiration, and I talked about, you know, what the suburbs look like, what the robots look like, why they look that way, and they took all that stuff to heart, they assimilated it, and you can see it in, in all the frames, so, and, you know, and then you also see some of Matt Wilson's beautiful colors and the palettes in the sky and everything like that so you know one of the benefits of comics is that we can super stylize things and then one of the benefits of TV is that you can really make it feel believable it's photorealistic it's lived in and that gives an extra dimension to the story because you know you you feel it very sincerely and honestly, and then all the action, you know, and all hell breaks loose. Oh, yeah, I mean, both 
things I had a great time working on, but Paper Girls, I, I think because it's a, a creator-owned book, it's not part of a larger universe that, you know, Marvel has very specific uh, concerns. It was just so much more freedom uh, that it was really fun. And, and it was sort of like we got to be the Marvel comics here to uh, tell them that, uh, you know, uh, this is what's really important to us about the book. This is what we think you should capture. And, you know, uh, these are the th areas that we want to give you total freedom. So it was, uh, it was a real joy getting to do this. Mm -hmm. I think that perspective has always been really important to the story. We tried, you know, our best in, in, in presenting a story with four young female protagonists, and then with the show, having that opportunity with the writers' room and the directors, you know, to really put that female perspective forward, makes it unlike anything else that's on TV right now. Yeah, I don't know how many episodes you've all gotten to see, but there's this moment in episode five uh, where the the girls get to talk about something very specific, and just hearing about what a joy it was in that writer's room that day for women to say what an opportunity for us to talk about the kind of thing you not only never see in genre TV but you rarely see in TV at all I'm so grateful not just for them but knowing that we had an all-female director uh, team that it was uh, it was uh, yes, a, a real an honor and privilege to see what it added to the show, but it was also heartening to hear how much they all enjoyed the comic and felt like this is something that we want to add our voices to. Not like, oh, here's what we're going to go in and correct what these dudes screwed up about us, but that they're like, we see this as an opportunity to expand and to deepen, uh, yeah, a privilege. Once upon a time you said that this comic was unadaptable, and now we're about to watch you know, it take over the world, hopefully. What changed? Yeah, I think uh, I was happy to be proven wrong. That when it came time to do this comic, like I, I just done Saga and it was successful and it felt like we have a little capital to spend. So let's do the kind of story that I would never be able to walk in and pitch this. A story with four adolescent female protagonists is such, unfortunately, at the time, felt like a really hard sell. There are practical economic reasons, and I was like, this could only be a comic, and I love to be proven wrong, but there was suddenly this willingness of, let's be bold, and uh, let's take a, a chance on this. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful to Amazon for saying this is a story we're fighting for that we think can live as a show, so happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, it was something that was really important to us when we were talking. Uh, with the writers is that we don't want to do a nostalgic show that it feels like there are a lot of fiction about the 80s in particular feels like it has this rose-colored glasses that it's more commenting on other shows and movies that we love from the 80s but Cliff and I are old-timers and we grew up in the 80s and it was uh, uh, oftentimes a dark and scary place a bigoted, homophobic uh, world, and we wanted to say, uh, look, let's do a show that really takes a hard look at the 80s and says, 
you know, life is not about wallowing in the past and pretending like it, it wasn't this dark place. Life is about progress and pushing forward. And I think the show captures that as beautifully as the comic hopefully did. A big inspiration for us was our friends, our childhood friends, and, and, and you know, we both grew up, I think, with, with lots of female friends uh, in particular, and you know, finding like some of their spirit and, and relying on that to inform us as you know, we went through the story. Yeah, it was about, you know, Cliff was always big about, let's not do just these 80s signposts of leg warmers, you know, and this, like, this stuff, let's make it honest, and let's make it about people, so keeping the inspiration always uh, in the real world, and not just the songs and video games or whatever that we love from the past. More comics for you, You got it. If you guys aren't reading uh, Cliff's Catwoman series. Okay, good. All right. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Have a good rest of your show. You too. And there you have it. Was that not the best? I mean, it was, you know, the audio quality is a little weird. I understand. Please be forgiving. But wasn't it pretty cool to be a fly on that wall? And it gives you the vibe. Because guess what? We couldn't hear it either. <laughs> <laughs> we were just feeling our way through. We were just surfing on vibes. <laughs> that is true. And so now, Lisa, I have shown you the photo that Kat Calamia took of us chatting to Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. And what are your thoughts on this photo? I'm not in the photo. No, you're not in the photo, but my hands are. Yeah, right? yeah. And they're clearly looking deeply at you. Yes. Um, Brian K. Vaughn looks amused. Cliff Chang is speaking. Yes, yes, yes. And, and what I like is uh, you can see on the table I like laid out <laughs> <laughs> some uh, comic book couples counseling stickers yeah. just in case Brian K. Vaughn saw him. I was like, oh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know who's not curious about stickers? Brian K. Vaughn. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure they saw right through But wouldn't Elliot die if he knew that Cliff Chang picked up one of his stickers? Well, we did get, um, we did ask uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo to sign our uh, CBCC Elliot stickers. And they did do that. And they did. And Elliot did not die, but he was pleasantly pleased by that notion. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. And Uh, I I met Tom King and Mitch Jarrett wearing one of Chango ATX's shirts. So he should know that. Yeah, we were representing our friends uh, and their art throughout San Diego Mm -hmm. Comic-Con. Anything else we need to say about this episode? Um, there was something I wanted to say. Oh, I did feel a little self-conscious talking about the representation question to Brian K. Vaughn. I know that that was a question that needed to be asked. And it was a question that I used. And I tried to word it in a way of not like, you know, because he did make the statement that all of the women who worked on the show didn't come in and make corrections to his perspective. Um, but, but I did feel a little self-conscious. Because I do think that um um oh i forget the word that i usually use like um intuition mm-hmm. empathy is mm-hmm. a huge part of writing mm-hmm. and i think that that is at, is important not as important as representation but i think that it's it's necessary and and i and people girls is a book that is so meaningful to so many people. Mm-hmm. When we left that press room, you felt like Brian K. Vaughn had been offended in some way by that question. And I don't, that's not how I read his response. Yeah. And I, like, I figured it was a question he was 
anticipating. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like his sales and he's like, but it wasn't like the women were coming in and correcting. <laughs> he, he was a, there's a little bit of defensiveness there, but I don't think as much defensiveness there as you read into it. I leave every conversation and I'm not just talking about interviews. I'm just talking like socially going like that person probably likes me a little less. Yeah. 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 After I, talking to me. I, I hear you. Uh, I hear you. So socially awkward. You're, you're, you were wonderful. You were wonderful. And this was a real treat, a real surprise. Uh, definitely a moment for comic book couples counseling and I do hope that it leads to a much longer conversation with Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang mm-hmm. uh, you know because what these two are doing right now you know like Brian K. Vaughn is working with Fiona Staples on Saga right now uh, they just wrapped up the first volume since the comic has come back I thought the last issue of that arc is one of the best Saga comics that they've ever done and Cliff Chang's Catwoman Lonely City I mean, I don't know. Paper Girls is probably my favorite Cliff Chang book, but uh, it's really good. Mm. It's really good. And, and I, I, I think he's working at the top of their game. I think Brian K. Vaughn is obviously working at the top of his game. Uh, these two are just tremendous titans within the industry, and they hold a very large place in our hearts. And so just to get a few minutes with them was great. But also, getting to chat with this cast was really, like, surreal and strange because you know the main cast is so young but these you know i want to call them kids but they didn't feel like kids like when they walked into that room they're decked to the nines they're extremely poised they're put together they've clearly thought about their answers the answer that tiffany gave me about how she had been considering Mm. her future self and the Mm. revelations Mm. that that led to yeah oh my goodness i i I was like oh Turns out I'm here to learn. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I loved yeah. it so much. Uh, I thought that they were way more chill than the adult members of the cast. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, I, absolutely. I absolutely. Like, I thought Adina and Nate were wonderful. Oh, I loved them both. A little bit more, like, used to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there might be, like, a guard or a barrier up yeah. that the kids... Again, I hate it's weird saying kids, but the the main cast. But they're minors. Didn't have. They're they, minors. They made that very clear. They're like, we can't be talking forever because the hours, the legal hours, they're allowed to work is very restricted. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, uh, that's that's our episode for this week. Um, again, we're going to be coming next week with another episode that uh, is going to have Attack Peter on. Hopefully we'll be back in the Love Nest. What, what's the plan on that? I think, or do you think? No, I think our next episode we'll have recorded in the Love Nest. Okay. We're going to finish out this week with the family, drive from the Outer Banks back home. Uh, I'm working in the morning. You're working in the morning. And then after you get done working, we'll record that episode in the Love Nest. The audio quality will will be back up and running to the usual standards of not bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and that episode will be a conversation with Attack Peter. And we also did a very interesting, very weird, kind of amazing uh, conversation with Yvette Nicole Brown and Felicia Day and the creators of The Walking Dead, The Last Mile game, the Facebook game. And if you didn't know what it was before this uh, conversation, we didn't know what it was before this conversation. <laughs> yes. um, are we putting that in the main feed? Yeah, we're putting it in the oh main my. feed. Yeah, no, no, no. That's going to that's gonna close out our Comic-Con uh, coverage. Okay. And, and that episode will also be our big breakdown of our experience at San Diego Comic-Con. Sounds good. And then we'll finally get back to Angela and Sarah because they have been simmering in the the waiting room. But this works out well because 
you know, we can't really do Angela and Sarah while we're here. Yeah, obviously. At, with your family. But we can prep our notes. We, we're going to prep. We're going to obviously read uh, Angela, Queen of Hell. And then not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that will be our final Angela and Sarah episode. Yes. And yeah, like I'm so excited to conclude that series. I rustled a bag while we were recording. I know that's I apologize. Okay. You know, this we're is the... Lucy and Goosey today. That's right. right I right. literally am wearing sweatpants. We're in sweatpants mode. It's like our main feed listeners are listening to a Patreon episode. <laughs> um, but let's get out of here, Lisa. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, this is your turn. Okay, it's my turn. Well, Brad, uh, the dishes are upstairs waiting for us because it is our turn to clean the kitchen at the beach house. <laughs> That's correct. Um, so where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you, my friend? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Summerin on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend yeah. some quality uh-huh. time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, <laughs> you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. We have a ton of emails that have stacked up over the <laughs> last two weeks. I, I, I see you all. I will be getting back to you this week. If, if not this week, the week after. But all right. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service... Why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. And please share these episodes. These are major episodes for Lisa and myself. And every share that you do helps us tremendously. And um, like, I, I, need, I need you to tell your, your friends, your family, your strangers. Tell your mom. Tell your mom to listen to this episode. You know, you, you know you have a fan who maybe doesn't read uh, a friend, a friend and a fan who doesn't read comics, but is excited about paper girls, get this episode into that friend's hands or their ears, uh, because it's probably better for them in their ears rather than their hands. I mean, I, I, I try to listen with my hands, <laughs> but until next time, friends, keep your love tank full and your psychic rapport open. Do you want to do our, our shark routine? Oh, uh, <laughs> Uh, we're not gonna answer, we're not gonna even tell them what the shark routine is. Okay, yeah. Okay, no. all right. Uh, this, okay. No, no, no. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Patty cake, patty cake, bake me a man. man. Elbow, 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 elbow. Do a slow turn, slow turn, slow and then turn. You sink. And you sink into the water. <laughs> and are we? We're not gonna explain that. We're just gonna leave that for them. Um, I like, don't. Can it be explained? Uh, all right. Tw- if you if you need further explanation on that, uh, tweet at us at CBCC Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for us. Bye.